this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebound and Safety. Today is the first episode of our next quarterly co-host. This is Q3, but it's only the second quarterly co-host we've done because we started in Q2 with Laura. So it's kind of Q2 for us, for, for us but Q3 for... Let's jump into you and try to tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the team we're here to change perception of whatever we do that right here on youtube and on the podcast as well so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell and all of those magical algorithm thingy majigs just like the animation that's telling you and subliminally messaging you right now not subliminally because i'm overtly telling you anyway episode one of our new quarterly co-host starts today and we are talking to rob fisher you may know rob fisher is a very prominent name in the kind of hop new view space if you want to do that and he has his own way of doing stuff same as everybody does and that's the cool thing about this isn't it everyone's got their own little their own little way of looking at stuff you know i've got my own way of implementing and and kind of communicating and transferring this knowledge over and explaining things in different ways and, and so is rob and this quarterly co-host is different from the last quarterly co-host in that it's just me and rob and we're really getting into his approach to He's kind of safety. You get real insight into what it's like to work with Rob, essentially. But if you don't want to work with Rob, then still it's this insight in how to start. So those of you that have been doing, listening to the Safety 1 versus Safety 2 miniseries, you've been reading loads of books, maybe you're in Project Meletium's book club and you've been reading all of our books. And you're thinking, how do I actually start with this stuff? This is a perfect place. So listen to the, this quarter's co-host. Episode one, two, and three will be step one, step two, step three to kickstarting your new you safety. But before we get into the first episode and our conversation with Rob, just a quick word from our sponsor. The official sponsor of Rebound and Safety is Paradigm Human Performance and more specifically their HSE subscription service. The perfect solution for those small, medium-sized enterprises that are juggling so many balls and spinning so many plates that unfortunately safety might be a little bit like, you know, you're conscious of it, but you're kind of like, we, we probably need to do a little bit more there. You want to take that step beyond being compliance, but you still need to be compliant then this is the option for you, 100%. Paradigm HP are human and organizational performance experts. So this isn't a system of compliance that in five years' times you're going to need to declutter. It's exactly what you need to get started and be sustainable for the future and be an effective business as well because it's more about just being safe and being compliant. So if you want to take that next step or you just want to get started this is honestly the option for you. Paranoid Human Performance's visions and values are just, they just work and they make sense to us and that's why we partnered with them. Again, work and safety part of DNAs of companies and getting companies to appreciate the subject matter expertise of the worker as well. So you can get this package starting from £99 a month. So to check out all the details in the show notes below, or description, depending on where you're listening slash watching. There's an email address, there's a phone number, there's a website. And if you're not quite sure yet, but you want to, you want to test them out a little bit, go to the website and sign up to the Learning Organization webinar. It's an absolute great webinar, full of amazing information. And it's the Paradigm team are all on it. Nearly every day, there's loads of them on there. So you can get a good feel for what Paradigm are as a team and as a group of people, what their approach are and their mannerisms and who they are and whether you like them or not. So it's a great insight, but ultimately you're going to learn a lot just from going on that webinar anyway. So don't forget, check out Paradigm Human Performance, but also if you want to, so go check them out on the website or contact them on the details below. And thank you very much, Paradigm, for sponsoring Rebound and Safety. And finally, just a note from my company, Project Miletium. If you're a professional working in health, safety, risk, or anything like that, even if you're an operational professional that manages safety and risk within your role, 
Project Miletium is the mastermind community for you. We do weekly community calls, helping each other solve each other's problems. We do book clubs. We do philosophy calls. The only philosophy conversations happen regularly in the safety profession, in the risk profession, is at Project Miletium. And we do a quarterly mastermind event, a three and a half hour event of keynotes, of workshops, proper in-depth debates, solving problems like nothing else you've, you've done before. And from the comfort of your own home. It's absolute nailed down solution for those of you that want to continually develop. This isn't about tick boxes. This is about getting involved, getting stuck in and developing yourself and becoming a better professional. So if you want to check it out, you can contact me. I'll get you on a call for free and you can come try it out. Or you can also talk to the co-founder, Colin Nottage, if you want to. You can email both of us at me at projectmiletium.com or you can just go to the website and sign up straight away. I'll put all the details in the description below. Thank you very much. Let's get into the conversation with Rob Fisher, our quarterly co-host. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. And, it's great um, to be here. Great to see you again. Yeah, for sure, man. And you're going to be quarter, what is it, quarter three, this will be, no, wait, quarter three, yeah. Quarter three's quarterly co-host. So we've just had our first quarterly co-host and it went really well. Um, and, and this is kind of a, a different style. So in the first quarterly co-host, um, we had Laura and we were kind of doing three-way, inter two-way interviews, I suppose, where me and her were interviewing CEOs. And then you had a, had a kind of different concept of we're going to, go through the three steps of your model, which I really like. So it's, it's, it's really nice to see kind of diverse, got diverse ideas and approaches. So um, why don't you kick us off by introducing yourself and the, the kind of overarching idea for the, for the three sessions, um, and then we'll get into it. Okay, great. Thanks. Well, I'm Rob Fisher. I own a company called Fisher Improvement Technologies here in the, here in the U S um, we've spent the last 30 years helping organizations and individuals understand how, why people make mistakes, uh, especially mistakes could prove to be catastrophic and how you can do one of three things with a mistake. You can prevent it, you can reduce the probability, or you can mitigate the consequences. That's it. That's what you can do with human error. There's a lot of components of human error. So years ago, we started taking on a bit of a holistic approach saying, look, if you're going to try to prevent or reduce probability or mitigate error, you need certain things. Um, you also have to write effective procedures because if you want people to follow written guidance, it has to be good. Uh, and then you have to analyze problems uh, using the science of understanding human performance, human and organizational performance, human error, whatever you wanna call it now. And that holistic approach uh, required us, you know, years ago to start doing things a little bit different than the average human performance people were doing them. Uh, so, you know, when you, when people started talking about safety differently for us, we'd been doing things differently for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, when you talk about rebranding safety, I'm all in on that because, you know, rebranding, it means you have to force the people that are coming into it and the people that have been around for a while to do things differently. And we've been all about that for a long time. So um, what I'd like to do over this quarter of our time together is talk about some of the really the three most important attributes of understanding how you can take human and organizational performance or safety or safety differently or rebranding or whatever you want to call it and move it forward. And the first one is the strategy with leaders. Um, bottom line, if you don't start with leaders, you're spinning your wheels. Uh, it, we've deployed in over 300 companies in 40 countries in 10 different languages. So we've got a little bit of experience with this. Mm. And every time I've seen someone try it without making the leaders do what they need to do first, it has failed pretty quickly and pretty miserably. The next one is that the workforce not only has to buy in, um, but they really have to engage with the concepts. They got to believe that the concepts are there are theirs. Mm. Uh, they got to believe that it's something that that they want to do. And you know, I'll just take a, a conversation I had yesterday with a gentleman down in Australia that says, "Look, I've been I've been a worker, pretty hardline worker for forty years. Had I known this forty years ago, 
I'd been using it at home with my wife, with my mm. kids, with my family, with, you know, <laughs> I just didn't know. Nobody took the time to teach me any of this stuff. Mm. And if you're not getting that comment from workers very routinely, you're probably not doing it right. Mm. And then the last one is you have to have strategies that both deploy and encourage sustainability. Because the sustainability is where your resilience is going to come from. It's where your capacity development is going to come from. It's where it's going to become how you do business in the future. And then that circles kind of back to you've ne- you're now rebranded. Mm-hmm. You're not doing things the way people used to do them or trying to compensate for the way people used to do them. So that's probably more than you wanted to hear. No. But I'd like to take the, take the, the next three months and, and talk about leaders, the workforce, and then strategy strategies for deployment and, and sustainability. Yeah. So this will kind of give the audience, Rob, I suppose, a real good insight as to what it would be like to work with you guys, really. This is kind of a, a bit of a, a summary of, of what that framework that you would work with your clients with. Yeah. And I'm a little bit weird in that. I think that <laughs> I try to... I, try to not make it so it's about what fit does, but about what we've seen and experienced over, yeah. over 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I don't want to come off sales pitchy, but I'll tell you what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I appreciate you saying that. And, uh, um, you know, certainly uh, given the opportunity, we'll show, tell you different places you can go to see stuff like this. Mm. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's going to be what we've learned. And the we is collective. You know, we've had as many as 18 consultants at any given time, certainly in the pandemic that's gone down. Um, but uh, so, you know, we've been able to collect a lot of information and process that information into data and then take that data and, and develop some facts about how things work in these three areas. So I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to share that. Oh, that's cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to kind of going through those three sections as well and getting deep in them. So that's going to be good. So with, with that, let, let's get into the first one then, which is leader strategy session kind of one. Um, and and the kind of key thing there that, that you kind of alluded to and we've got in our notes is, is, is putting them in a, putting, getting leaders in a position to drive um as opposed to having them support involvement for me that's really interesting that key difference of those two words drive and support um and it sounds like to me it sounds very much like that you know change comes from the top kind of thing but instead of them being a sponsor which is a a word i hear quite a lot get your sponsors on the board it, it sounds to me, it sounds to me like you're saying that they're, they're not sponsors. They're literally the drivers of this change. Yeah, absolutely. Sponsorship says, you know, I'm going to agree to provide the resources that you need to do this thing, that mm. you need to do this thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, and driving says, we're going to make this happen. We are going to do this. Uh, I'm going to be part and parcel as a leader of the development, of the deployment, you're going to see me change in what I know, what I say, and what I do. And that's going to ultimately change the way our organization does business. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I won't do. When somebody says they're going to support it, first of all, it's gotten to the point where it drives me nuts. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that in our new woke world, but it drives me bonkers to hear someone say, we fully support our X, our safety, our productivity, our quality. I don't care. All that means is you shuffle around resources. So somebody else has to do it. So James has to go out and figure out how to do it, but James may not have the stroke to do what needs to be done. And people are looking to those leaders to say and do the right things. And if they don't know the right things, they're not going to say them and do them. Mm. So uh, what we found is that when you put, we use something called the gear model. And the gear model starts with uh, leader knowledge, leader language, and leader behaviors. And it's separated from the workforce uh, knowledge and language and behaviors 
by a belt of engagement instead of a direct drive. You can't expect that those things are going to direct drive them. So uh, in order for that leader to drive the changes they want, they have to understand the tension on the engagement belt. Mm. There's some talent that comes into that. Support requires no talent. Mm. It doesn't require any changes except for resources. So if, yeah, I liken it to, and I'll try to use a, a European model. I liken it to uh, L'Oreal sponsoring a race car. There's nobody from L'Oreal that is going to, um, and I don't even know if they sponsor a race car, but uh, <laughs> pick a sponsor. You know, over here, I use the example that, that uh, Lowe's, a big home, uh, home improvement, would sponsor uh, a NASCAR guy like Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. But his owner, Rick Hendrick, is actively engaged in driving the culture and the behaviors of the organization, not Lowe's. L'Oreal isn't, they don't, they don't want the race team to have L'Oreal values, right? They yeah. want that race team to have the values of the leader and that leader to drive the performance or they'll go get a new leader. And the driver is just a workforce person. The pit crew are workforce people. But the sponsors say, we're going to give you the resources to do this. And then you have to do it right. Uh, I think that one, what seems like a subtle change to many people, uh, starts as a wording change. I'm no longer the sponsor. I'm going to drive this as a leader. Do you think it's like a, um, it, it's more a change in accountability? Is it like if I'm a sponsor, I can wash my hands of it a little bit, whereas if I'm driving it, I take accountability as a leader? I think that's the result, right. but I also think that people don't like to phrase it that way because it pushes accountability to the front mm. instead of way down the essential leadership cycle where it belongs. Mm. So this is more... You know, we're going to talk about the essential leadership cycle a lot because it starts with self and team awareness. This is a self and team awareness uh, issue to, that would lead to shared vision and values. In other words, what do we know and what do we not know? Yeah. Can I, as a leader, actually convert to that person that will take the initiative to drive it? Interestingly enough, a lot of these leaders drive everything else in their life right? Everything. Mm. And then when it comes to safety or, or uh, quality or human and organizational performance or learning teams, they just support it. I want to yeah. be a supportive leader, yeah. but that's not what the organization needs. I hope I'm answering your question. I'll probably no, ask I, that I, question I, a lot. <laughs> I, no, I think, I think you are. And I think for me, it's kind of like, I, I think a really good example is when a company comes out and says, you know, we, we support something like diversity and inclusion, but then actually their actions, their actions within their company don't really reflect that. Um, it's, it's quite similar to that, I, I think, anyway. It's like we, uh, absolutely, we support abs it, but we don't do it. That's absolutely similar. And a great um, segue to it doesn't matter what it is. Mm. Leaders will either drive it, diversity and inclusion, or they will support it. Yes, I, I think we should by, be diverse and inclusive. Mm. Well, no kidding, Sherlock. <laughs> really? I, I'm glad you think we ought to. Yeah. But what are you doing to drive that? Mm. How have your... How has your knowledge, language, and behaviors changed to make that happen? Yeah, that really, it, it does really, that, that to your earlier point, that kind of, it feels, it sounds like it's just a change in words, but it, it is really a change in, it's, it's just really a change in their position, their approach, their mentality, like everything their involvement i suppose I, I, if you're a sponsor i'd imagine you're you're less physically involved your work demand is probably not that much you're just throwing resource and money time whatever but actually i feel like if you're driving it your time your focus uh and and your cognitive effort goes into it as well yeah and i'll give you another example that we're dealing with right now 
we have a client that has a sponsor for a significant um, near miss, near hit that could have killed multiple people. And it was a whoo yeah. event. They have a sponsor for the for the the learning team, the we call them facilitated improvement teams. We, we, we called them those, you know, way belong, way before, you know, learning teams kind of made the rounds. We've yeah. had these, but, but they have this sponsor for the team. And I asked in the original meeting, okay, so who owns it? And blank stares. I said, well, somebody's got to own it. You, I, I, well, I'm the sponsor. I know you're the sponsor. That means you're going to make sure we've got the resources. I want to know who owns the problem. Mm. And we had to have a discussion about what that means, about the difference between the sponsor that says, I'm going to make sure you've got all the resources that you can have to help solve the problem. I say, you mean your problem? Mm. And got quiet again. I say, remember, this is your problem. Do you think... In any, by any stretch of the imagination, we're going to find that two yahoos went out there, screwed something up, didn't have any systemic drivers, didn't have any organizational drivers, and could have killed multiple people just because they made one mistake that they shouldn't have made. Do you think that's what we're going to find? Mm, like it was completely off of their own back. It was pure negligence. Like yeah. they're, they're occupational terrorists, so, yeah. so to speak. And so, so I think that... For a long time, and I think human and organizational performance has suffered from this, mm. for a long time, because the leaders weren't educated well, because the leaders didn't shift their paradigm, that leaders believed that human and organizational performance was a shift in blame from the workers to managers. Mm. I mean, we've been doing this 20 plus years. You've still got leaders out there that think that Safety differently is a shift to the managers. That or- is that is kind of how it. I think if you if you really get into the, um, I suspect you know Shane Bush. I suspect you know him quite well. Yeah, I know him well. Uh, I um I'm recently on currently on the um on on Shane and Teresa you know, Teresa Swinton as well. I sh- I assume from yeah. Paradigm. Um, I'm on their course for human organizational performance practitioner. Rolls off the tongue that and um. And there was in, it was interesting. This this conversation of blame kept coming up over and over again. And it and it's so interesting that when you introduce that concept or that shift in paradigm to people to remove blame from the workforce, it just gets shifted up to the leadership. It does. And you you then have to, and I think Paradigm did this really well in the course, and Shane did it really well. Um, you you have to then do the same again and, the, and then it goes up to the senior leadership and then you have to do the same again and 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 so on and so forth but I think one thing that Shane blew my mind with because I've struggled with the concept of removing blame for a long time um, because in my opinion blame exists whether we like it or not uh, it's like a human emotion it's also a legal is there you know there is culpability in, the, in our legal structure and so on and he and and he explained it from a point of view which i think i've heard todd explain it like this as well in that we need to understand i think todd does it in his book actually understand the difference between accountability and culpability and and that accountability is something that's really personal i choose to be accountable um and the company can choose to be accountable but culpability is someone's like blameworthiness which we can choose to you know we can choose to kind of decide at a later date, a later date based on the context and all that. And I was like, mm, that for me makes more sense because it avoids that really crappy conversation of, oh, no blame. And everyone just thinks we're a bunch of hippies that don't want to blame everyone. Yeah. You know, I agree. We, for some time, we have, uh, we have approached it this way. I hear, when I hear the term blame culture, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Mm. So I started asking leaders, what if there is no blame culture? What if blame is a human nature characteristic Mm. that needs to be managed 
as opposed to a cultural issue that you try to change. You're not going to change blame. Yeah. I can't, I can't make my wife not want to blame people. Her nature is that is, is that, and that's not a bad thing. That's human nature. It's, it is a, so, such a knee jerk reaction, isn't it? We blame bang, bang like that. Like it, we don't even think yeah. about it. We just blame straight away. But just, just like our personality tendencies. If we yeah. understand them, if we're aware of them, we can manage them. We're not going to try to change our blame culture because we don't have a blame culture. We have a whole organization of humans whose natural tendency is to blame. Mm. Well, if, if, if an individual's natural tendency is to take a knee jerk fix, we can get them to manage that. Right. Mm. So why can't we get them to manage the emotion of blame? And what we've discovered is you can, you know, you can get people to push their pause button and manage the emotion of blame because that's what it is instead of the technical attribute of blame which it isn't. Mm. So you, you have to start talking about those things differently. Again, that's a paradigm shift that leaders have to make because the bottom line is if you allow the whole blame conversation in half of the people's mind, it's always going to be a shift. Mm. But if blame isn't part of the discussion because blame is an emotional thing and we're trying to find out uh, more factual more science-based things, mm. then we can discover what, what we would call systemic drivers. I can't blame a manager for a bunch of systemic drivers mm. because all of our cumulative actions, behaviors, uh, values come together to create these systemic drivers that make people do what they do at the time they do it and have it make sense to them at the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I like the way you explained that. Like if you, it's not about removing blame. It's about just accepting that blame is an emotion and uh, emotion doesn't, whilst emotion is a consideration during an, uh, an event or a management of, 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 you know, safety or human organizational performance, it's something we, we really need to just kind of not let drive us just as a consideration. It sits there, but separate it from our decision-making. Yeah. And, 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 and th in that way, we're managing it. Because remember, in most organizations out there, you have a slew of high-performing, highly individually accountable workers. Mm. They blame themselves like crazy when something goes wrong. We had to spend almost half a day talking the two operators off the ledge because they were blaming themselves and I said, you can punish yourself later, yeah. but don't let your blame get in the way of us finding the systemic and organizational drivers that we can manage that will keep this from happening again. Yeah. See, blame just gets in the way of all that. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. You've mentioned paradigm shifts a few times. Like, is it, is it just the this paradigm of blame that needs to shift or are there are other things that we need to shift within the leaders kind of paradigms. No, there's a, there's a whole spectrum of shift. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that, that spectrum changes quite frequently. Uh, but I, I love, you know, Sydney Decker and I were down in, down in uh, Brisbane a few years ago and we were having a discussion about how um, if you want somebody to shift their paradigm, You've got to give them a paradigm that makes more sense to them than the one you're asking them to leave. Mm. That's what deployment is. Mm. It's yeah. shifting people's paradigm from wherever they're at to where they need to be to support a sustainable future. So, you know, even in rebranding safety, you can't just tell people to rebrand it. You've got to shift the paradigm from where they're at. Yeah, you know, when we to what? Yeah. Yeah. When we wanted to, to diss the pyramid, you had a hundred plus thousand safety people out there that had lived that pyramid every day for 40 years. Yeah. You can't just walk in and say the pyramid sucks. It doesn't <laughs> work. It never works. So Foxtrot uniform, you don't use it anymore. <laughs> Cause, cause they'll give you 20 examples where something fit that shape. Yeah. 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 That 
didn't fit the shape because of the shape. It just happened to maybe come out that way because of the way they collected the data. Mm. But, but, you know, you start again, this is where leader education comes in because they can't change their language and behaviors. If you don't educate them, that's where the paradigm shifts happen. So, Mm. you know, we're working with a major airline and the, the word accountability kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up. So the paradigm of making accountability a resultant condition instead of a driving element, that paradigm shift mm. happened really quickly. I like and that. then you could see everything fall into place. Mm. But, you know, in a lot of places, in, high perf- in every high-performing organization we've ever worked in, you never hear them talk about accountability. I wonder mm. why that is. It's not because it doesn't exist. It's because it is a resultant condition of the way the organization behaves. I really like that. I really, really like that. Like that, that answers, like I've been struggling with getting people to look at accountability like this for a long time, like talking to clients and members and, and saying, you know, you've got to, you know, accountability is not something you force on somebody. It's something that they choose to, to take on themselves. And, and that, you know, they just didn't get it because they've had accountability drummed into them as really just another form of blame over the years. But actually the way you've just described that, I think that is really nice. Like, and it makes sense. It's kind of a systematic way of looking at it. You know, accountability is an outcome of the system that you create in a way. So if you want accountability, you need to create a system that enables them to become accountable. Yeah, exactly. And Mm. so the other piece of that is that in every organization that we've ever run across that struggles with accountability, they talk about it all the time. Mm. So from an outsider perspective, all you have to do is go in and listen for four minutes and you'll find out whether they're treating accountability like it should be treated in an organization as a resultant condition or whether they're trying to drive accountability. And in some of these organizations, they just get somebody with a bigger hammer. You know, they bring somebody in from outside and say, oh, this has a great in accountability. He's an ex-military and, and he's got a <laughs> strong history of accountability. And yeah. They're there for about two years. They move on to someplace else. and They bring somebody in with a bigger hammer. Mm. And in organizations that are, or what I call organically accountable, in other words, it's developed. Mm. I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to me. I'm accountable to myself. The organization's accountable to, to us. All of these things are happening because of the systems we established to me. I'm just going to talk about me. That was way left out of hop and human performance in the beginning. Mm. Because they made it about the worker and good, you know, human organizational performance or safety differently or safety. If that's done right, it's never about the worker. Mm. It's about how the worker is impacted by the systems that put them in the positions that they're in when they're doing tasks. And that's exactly, in my opinion, why BBS gets such a bad rap is because the same thing happened there is, you know, BBS, yes, you know, people will pull it apart and whatever, but fundamentally, if you listen to a, you know, a lot of Scott Geller's stuff that he talks about now, it's, it, it's like, you know what, that's what we talk about now in the, in the safety new world, the, the safety tune, new view, whatever you want to call it world. And, and I think that one of the things where BBS fell down was exactly what you just said was we just focused on the worker on the shop floor. If we'd have looked at, you know, the factors that influence behaviors at the top of the chain, as much as we did at the bottom of the chain, uh, at the sharp and the blunt end, we probably would have been a little bit better. Um, and it would not have maybe got such a bad rap. And I think that part of that is early on, we were never driven to segregate observation and engagement Mm. those are different things yeah Yeah. Uh, we 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 talk about method-based observations you're going out and watching work and having a conversation about it in some way yeah 
but it's about the task at hand. But we also do something called values-based engagements okay. where there's a conversation that doesn't have anything to do with the work. Mm. If those are balanced about 50-50, man, you're getting all kinds of great information on the systemic and organizational drivers yeah. through, these, through these leader engagements. And then you're getting ways to validate whether you're, the behaviors of the workforce force are what you want through these method-based observations and conversations. Mm. But too many organizations shoved all of their eggs into the observation basket. Yeah. And that brings us a little bit back to the BBS thing. It was peer observations. It was supervisor yeah. observations. It was leader observation. Observe, yeah. observe, 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 observe and coach. Well, hold on. Name a famous soccer coach over there. Well, I'm not a football man, so I, I, I would go rugby. Um, okay, name a famous rugby coach. Oh, shit, they've all left my brain now. Uh, Eddie Jones, who coaches England. Okay, Eddie Jones does not get on the field and say, here's how you block. Mm. Yeah. And, and our senior leaders shouldn't be out there saying, here's how you repair a pump. Yeah, yeah. Or here's how you lift. Yeah, they should be out there having engagements to see if our values match. Mm. How are we supporting you? There's a How great, are we setting you up for success? Yeah, there's a great story. I can't. I think it might have been Exit Chiefs, a rugby team over here, but I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But long story short, it was a, it was a, it was a rugby team who who got absolutely destroyed in the first half of the game. It was a couple of seasons ago. And it was really like shocking to everyone who watched it, either fans or neutrals or whatever. Everyone was like, oh my God, they're getting absolutely destroyed. And this should have been quite a close game. Um, and then in the second half, they came out of nowhere and like destroyed the opposite. They won the game. And like, even though they were like loads of points down. And in, and in the second half, I mean, in the end of the game, the journalist or the pundit, or whatever, said to the coach, you know, what did you say in that, in that changing room? You know, you're the you're the, the the head coach. What did you say? Because the team that came out of that changing room were completely different to the team that were playing in the second half. And he and he said, I asked the team what our values were as a as a as a team as a team and as a as a club that we decided at the beginning of X season, what how many years ago? Um, and they all told me the values. And I just asked them honestly, do you think that we've just played up to those values? Do you think we've lived those values? And not one player said yes. And I said, well, that's okay, fine. So in the second half, I want every single one of you to just have a think about how you can do better in line with those values. And they came out a different side. And I was just like, you know what, that, that is coaching. That is leadership right there. So this, this, is, this comes back to, there's this whole group of people out there that say, you know, cardinal rules, rules to love by or live, live by, save your life rules, life-saving rules, those should be abandoned. Well, maybe don't call them rules. Maybe establish them as a set of values of how we're going, how we as an organization want to protect people. And, and, and so in a lot of organizations, and I remember one uh, oil company we were working with, they had said that the manager's role related to the, I'll call them cardinal rules. Is that a fairly common yep. European yep. term too? Um, the manager's role is constant enforcement of the cardinal rules. With a I whip. Said, <laughs> yeah. That sounds horrible. I said, so what do you think your managers are out there doing? Uh, Let me ask you a question. Why did you create them? They said, yeah. we created them because we don't want to hurt, maim, or kill people. Mm. That's not what they say because step one is violation of a cardinal rule is subject to discipline up to and including termination. Yeah. Well, it's just as damaging okay. to some people, isn't it? Exactly. So what if that changes to say we've put these in place because we know what will hurt, maim, and kill you, and we want to control that, and you let the workforce know that, and you let them tell you what they need to do to not get those outcomes. And then you have your managers go out and continually engage 
on whether the organization is providing them the the need or or the the capability to pull off those things they gave you. Mm. Not a single rule, not a single rule changed. They didn't change the way they were written. But when they went out and engaged, the first thing they found was when they asked the question, why do we have cardinal rules? They said, because when you violate them, then you can fire us. And about a 70% response rate on that. Jesus. And I would say most organizations will have that response. Yeah. This is the first thing in the damn procedure. It's a great example of like workers done and workers imagined, isn't it? That the leaders imagined that the rules are there to save lives and protect people. And it's really moral. It's really heartfelt and it's caring, but actually how it's perceived on the shop floor is you don't understand us. You don't, you don't engage with us. And it's just there so that you can, you can sack us. That's all. So you don't care about us. And it's like, actually, no, we put these in because we do care about you. Right. So, so the second step, you know, the first step of the essential leadership cycle is, is self and team awareness. We've got to un- really know what's going on. Mm. And in order to do that, leaders need to engage, not observe. And, or, or not only observe, let me put it that way. Yeah. But the second part of the essential leadership cycle is shared vision and values. Mm. And what they discovered was a values mismatch that was driving workforce behaviors that they would never do the things that they thought leaders didn't want to see when a leader was there. And they would never tell them about it because they thought they'd get fired for talking about it. You know, a lot of people, I I got the question asked today, how long does it take to change a culture? I said, as long as it takes leader language and behaviors to change. Mm. Mm. Because I I, I mean, there's a utility here here in the U S right now, that's using these values based engagements. And they say, it's been a game changer. The CEO asks every senior leader, every Friday, what are the top two things you learned from your values based engagements this week? Nothing documented, nothing written down, nothing put in the observation database, just a group of leaders that has a conversation on what they need to change to make sure their values are aligned. Yeah. I feel like to do all that, that like just, uh, I feel like you, you need, we were talking about paradigm shifts uh, and I feel like we talked about the blame stuff. We talked about a few bits, but I feel like one of the key paradigms is how we view the worker. I think in the UK, especially, and correct me if you think, if you think I'm wrong um, or, or we can have a chat about it, 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 especially in the UK, we view the worker normally as a liability or we're kind of fearful of, like if I was to say to somebody, you know, just, just go out and talk to them. You just go out and talk to them. Yeah. But what with what with, can I have a checklist or, or, or a list of questions? Just go out and talk to them. Or maybe, but all right. So either depending on where we are in, in the kind of maturity of, of our relationship between me and them, I, I might say, just go out there and ask them, learn about them. Or if we're like brand new, or if we've done that and then they're still a bit nervous, I might say, right, now I want you to just go out and just say, how can I help you? And what can I, what makes your job hard? You know, very open questions, stuff like that. And that's all. And then, but they, they still want like, okay, where do I write down the answers? Like, just, just get on with it. Just, just talk to them. And, and, and I understand from a different, like some people, their personal traits might find that uncomfortable, but to kind of park in that for a second, I do think there is a fear that when they do that, they're going to get lynched by the workforce and that the workforce are just a pure liability and nobody wants to work well. Everyone just comes in and they're lazy. You know, I don't think, I think that's a key paradigm shift, Rob. I don't know what you think. We have to change the way we view the worker. I I completely agree. And some of that will happen organically. I mean, the next generation of people come in have a little bit more of the of that non-hardline view yeah some of them because they were the workers <laughs> some of them because they um, you know they, they're they're younger and newer and, and so some of this is going to be flushed um naturally but 
you got to give a leader an opportunity to change their paradigm. Mm -hmm. I remember I was at an organization that got in a heap of trouble. You know, I'm an ex nuke and don't punish me for that. I promise I won't nuke you guys. Um, but the, the, the nuclear regulatory commission here in the U S shut the plant down because of leadership. Certainly it was performance, but they saw immediately it was leadership. There was one, one leader that was willing to change their paradigm and not argue with the commission that they weren't doing things the right way. Mm. One guy. And he stayed with that organization for another 20 plus years. Mm. And every single one of the other ones that, that wouldn't open their mind. So there's going to be a, a calling where you, um, as you start to talk to people, leaders about shifting their view of work and therefore the worker of shifting their view of blame and therefore that relationship of shifting their view of accountability that remember that's all self and team awareness. We're back to that first block of the essential leadership cycle. Leaders have a choice. They can shift that paradigm and learn something new. And I mean, when leaders do that around us, it's, it's like their world opens up. They could have been, they could have been doing this for 40 years mm. and I'll, I'll never forget. I, I, I watched a senior leader at a major organization come to tears over what they heard when they engaged instead of observed over what they heard when they asked the questions related to values and, and, and the way the, the workers felt about the support and drive of the organization. And he said, how, how do we not know this? Mm. It was visibly upset. And it was a very simple answer. You didn't ask because you didn't know to ask because you'd never been taught to ask mm. leader knowledge, leader language, leader behaviors. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, my personal belief is that any of these things that have come along that want to shift, whether it's rebranding or differently or uh, human performance to hop to human and organizational, whatever it is, nobody pays enough attention to that. And they don't give the leaders the tools to do it. Mm. Leader. They don't really expect that they'll just tell a worker to go do something. The worker's going to go do it. So why would we expect that you tell a leader to do something different and they're going to go do it without any tools, without any models? And here's one of the things I tell leaders right up front. If you will use models and tools and processes, your workforce will use models and tools and processes. If you won't, don't expect them to. So we're going to start with you and for our organization, for FIT, we tell them pretty point blank. If you won't as a leader, we'll know we're not going to help you deploy. Yeah. And you're not going to deploy very well. Mm. You know, this is a two-way relationship. We have to trust that you're going to do the things that we know work over time. And if you don't show you're going to do that, we'll probably just say, no, thank you. Call us when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of those like key, the languages and behaviors we keep coming back to like languages for me, what are some of like the, the key things you're seeing we're not saying anymore and the things that we are saying, like what are the differences? Well, for instance, well, well, there's, there's, I'm trying to, trying to be succinct. There's, there's so many of them. For yeah. instance, leave the V word violation out of your vocabulary. Okay. That's a conclusion. And once you say it, you can't unring the bell. Yeah, that's interesting because it, violation comes up quite a lot in hop, doesn't it? That is a key part of you've got your error, deviation, and violation kind of. 
stuff. Yeah, so, so, so if you understand the percentages of those, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The 90-10 on error violation, you yeah. understand those percentages. And if your organization isn't those percentages, then you've either hired the worst people on earth or you're misdiagnosing your problems. I know which one of those it is, but mm. you know, I'll let you figure it out over time. So you got a 90-10 rule on errors to violations. Then you've got a 90-10 rule on systemically driven violations. In other words, we drove you to violate. You, you were conscious about it, but we still made you do it. To isolated violations, which, which rank around less than 1% of our problems. So yeah. I, would, I would ask leaders, you tell me why you would focus on 1% or 10% if you want to improve. Tell me in what area in life you say, well, the way we're going to get there is we're going to focus on the 1%. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's interesting that you, you put it like that because, yeah, it's kind of like if you, you try and please one, you, you'll end up pleasing none. It's kind of like that saying, isn't it? But the other way around, I suppose, like we're, we're solving, we're creating solutions for the problem of 1%, but actually like, there's like 99% of people out there that that, and that solution is not going to work for because it's not a violation. It's an error or a deviation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a really good example. That's a really good example. It mm. can take two, a deviation can take two um, paths. It can be an error or it can be a violation, right? Someone is outside the rule. So we say deviation, and again, this is all part of the leader language, right? Yeah. We say a deviation is something you can see. I can see that your hat is on backwards, and we've got a rule that your hat's supposed to be on forwards. Yeah. But I don't know until I have a conversation whether your hat is on backwards because that's how you put a hat on and you didn't know we had a rule. I'll make it <laughs> up. Or whether you said, screw them. I wear my hat backwards More so or <laughs> whether we gave you a hat that doesn't have a front. I don't know any of those questions unless, unless I look. Yeah. Um, I, I tell a story. So we, we were out doing some engagements and we came across a crew that was 10 feet off the ground, three meters, but everybody on the platform was wearing five meter lanyards. So immediately the, the senior leader, the vice president said, you know, stop the work and said, why are you guys violating this rule? And they, they all looked at each other like a cow looking at a new gate. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, every day they work at 50 feet. So today they lowered the platform for three hours to 10 feet and stayed in the same uh, lanyards they were in all day long. They were deviating from a rule. We could see the deviation, but there was no conscious intent to be outside that rule. Right. And by the way, they found out through the discussions that they don't even have two meter lanyards. They don't have six foot lanyards because you can't reach any of the equipment on the platform with a six foot lanyard. Right. So this is, but what they discovered was that um, they do this task about once every 18 months on over a thousand pieces of equipment and no one had really ever noticed that they um, didn't drive a change in the, um, in the, in the fall projection. Mm. So mm -hmm. it's all about teaching the leaders, the language, the, the science-based language of errors, deviations, and violations, as opposed to trying to change all this other crap that people are trying to say, you shouldn't talk about that. We shouldn't be talking about error and error is a result. Well, no kidding. But I still have to understand what drives that in order to prevent it, mitigate it, or reduce the probability. Mm. So what are some of the, I feel like we've covered quite a lot, paradigms, the change of paradigms, uh, the changing of the language, how important engagement is. What's kind of some of the, the tools and, and models, unless you've covered them already, but like the tools and models that you'd give a leader to, to, to use, essentially? 
Well, the, the two that we start them with, uh, there's, there's really three. The first one is the essential leadership cycle. Okay. How do, how do you, and even before that actually is the task-based system. In other words, what, do, what are we going to give the workers to understand what the systemic drivers are in a task? People, programs, processes, work environment, organization, equipment. On any task at any time, every individual, no matter where they're at, is surrounded by those things, and they're all dynamic. So as a leader, I have some influence over those systemic drivers, people, programs, processes, work environment, organization, equipment, and how they impact the individual in the middle of that task. Mm -hmm. So leaders have to understand that model. But I've got a hundred of those going on during the day. So I need the essential leadership cycle, self and team awareness, shared vision and values, clear roles and processes, trust, diversity and inclusion, commitment, accountability, and uh, continuous and continuous learning and improvement. I need to understand that cycle so I can control all of those task-based systems out there the best I can as a leader. So when you understand how those two models can be used every day, if you think about it, I can bucket things in the task-based system when they impact the task, but I can bucket them in the essential leadership cycle if I want to fi- fix them because I know that self and team awareness, shared vision and values and clear roles and processes are driving elements. We have, We have pictorials on all this and all the rest of them are resultant conditions. Trust is a resultant condition from good self and team awareness, good shared vision and values, good clear roles and processes. Mm. I can't ask people to be diverse and inclusive if they don't trust me. Mm. I can't ask people to commit if I haven't got diverse and inclusive input People don't trust it and the processes are clear. Therefore, how can I hold them accountable? So it all fits together. We teach very early on how to do that. And the other model we teach leaders to use almost immediately is called deviation analysis. How do I understand? Remember, we wanted to make that V word go away. How do I understand by approaching this from a systemic process? whether something was an error or a violation, if it was a violation, was it systemically driven? And then what can we do as an organization to reduce the probability that something like this will create a bad outcome? Mm. When leaders start using those three tools, culture starts to change almost immediately. Mm. I mean, if you ask a worker, tell us how you violated this rule, you're going to get shipped. Bad answer. I don't know whether I'm allowed to say that. You're going to yeah, crappy yeah, answer. Yeah, you can swear, mate. Yeah, yeah. We've said but, a lot of fucking worse words on there. That's for <laughs> sure, mate. Don't you worry. But if I um, ask a worker, tell us whether these rules or whether these processes were available, workable, intelligible, correct, and consistently reinforced, mm. help us understand that piece of why a rule was potentially systemically deviated from. Mm. They've got all kinds of input on that. Yeah. The, the, the change in language is just so powerful, isn't it? Like the, the amount of people that I talk to that, that say just, just saying, and I've heard this so many times and you probably have as well, but like just going out and saying, can you give me your statement for this incident? Change that to, can you tell me the story of this event? Or this, even if you said incident, just tell me the story. What tell me get. what happened and how it happened. I don't even need to talk about the incident. Yeah, exactly. Just tell me so the story, man, to, and it changes. That, that's a great. That's a great point, James. So I'll, I'll kind of get us close to closure okay. by kind of finishing that answer of you never call it an investigation. Okay. It's that's not an interview. Yeah. It's. We'd like to ask you some questions. We'd like to get your input. You're doing an incident analysis. We need you to help us analyze the conditions that surrounded this. Mm. It's a hell of a lot of difference between the way some people, some people run learning teams to create corrective actions and the way a good old investigation was run for those of us who knew how to ran them 
run them before they were incident analyses. I mean, I, I'm not even doing a cause analysis. Mm. I'm not trying to find the root cause. I'm trying to understand the drivers and contributors that got us here. Mm. And you use those words in a facilitated improvement team or a learning team or an incident analysis, you get completely different information. Mm. So that, that's, that's, again, you know, the leaders have to start using those terms and, and they got to know what they mean. Mm. And too often in the past, we gave the leaders one session of an hour on how they're supposed to look at errors and violations and deviations differently, patted them on the ass and said, now go ye forth and be better. Yeah. And there's nothing else in the world we do that with mm. and expect people to be good. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, there's nothing in there. I don't agree with me. I think, I think you, you make a lot of sense and it, and it's, it's refreshing to kind of hear it in those tangible ways of things that people can actually pick up and, and, and take away um, and not just like high-level helicopter statements like, we well, can't learn and blame, see you later, and that's it, nothing else. I'm like, okay, what do I do with that? Um, so you know, it's that it's, you're, you're changing the language, but you're also kind of not changing the language too much that – it's so far out of the operational language or, or it's so far out of the operational vocabulary that they, they don't understand it. Do you know what I mean? I feel like sometimes we, we go from operational language and we go all the way over to like academic language or science language. And they're just like, what is that? I have no idea what you're talking about. It has to be manageable. Mm. In other words, um, you know, in order to be good, it has to be practically applicable. Mm. And I think a lot of human organizational performance, a lot of safety differently, tried to push people from you used to think this way and now you need to think way over there. And if you can't get there, you're going to have a problem. And they mm. put all the academics um, elements, as you well said, behind that. The practical application of what you know works. That's the journey. And it may be this far and it may be this far, but I know it ain't out there. And over the years, we have figured out that that starting point is finite. There's only three or four of them. Not, they're not infinite. I don't have to worry about every person. I don't have to worry about every sector. I don't have to worry if shipping's different from nuclear's different. No, no, no. These are humans. Their starting paradigm is one of two or three or four things. All you got to do is figure out where that's at. But the end, the work, what works is known. Get them that far. Right. Okay. Yeah. We're having some uh, some technical issues. So I apologize for that, Rob. I'll, in in post edit, I shall try and uh, make this as as smooth as possible. But I apologize if anyone's like hang on a minute, what Rob just said, there's like 50 words missing from that. Um, I will try my damnedest, but if you can... Um, James has something like that, he clipped it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, look, there was some systematic issues there, right? It wasn't a violation. <laughs> if you could just um, tie this in a loop by just introducing the concept that probably like kind of step two that we're going to go through next month, um, that would be great. And then we'll... Um, and then give you give your kind of company a little shout out as well, Rob, and okay. um, and we'll tie it in a loop. Okay, sounds great. Um, you know, we talk a lot about leaders because if you don't get them first, you're going to struggle. But at some point, you have to get with the workforce and engage them in where we're going. So session two, we're going to talk about uh, workforce buy-in. How do you get people? To, how do you get the workforce to change their paradigm? And then how do you get them to engage with the concepts so they figure out really quick, hey, this works for me. Mm. I'm using this for me. I'm not using it because they told me to. I'm using it because it works for me. Yeah. When you get that, then you're starting to create a sustainability 
And part of our experience is that when a worker leaves a company and goes somewhere else, guess what one of the first things they want brought into the new place they go is? These concepts that, that buck the old system. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, you can, you can see a lot about, I'm looking forward to, to session two um, and, and getting down into the organization as long as people don't just listen to session two, they go do session one first. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. We'll make sure that we, we, make, we make that clear in the episode um, that this is a three-part one. Uh, give us a little uh, shout out to what you do, Rob, in case anyone's listening and, and they're like, oh my God, I need to talk more to Rob, you know, or work with you. What does that look like? How do they get hold of you? Sure. Uh, our website is improvewithfit.com. Um, but we have a, a, an online learning platform called Fit Online. So a lot of what we talk about is in Fit Online, if you go to online.improvewithfit.com, okay. then you can join for free. There's probably 200 free videos wow. and audios all broken into anything from two minutes long I want to talk about performance modes and here's somebody talking about them for two minutes to a two hour speech on how uh, advanced error reduction fits into the healthcare field. Wow. And all of that is free. We also have paid courses on there. So if you want to become a practitioner, you can go on there and pay for a course to become an advanced error reduction practitioner. Um, you, if you want to learn deviation analysis, you can go on and, and say, I want to send my five managers through de- through this deviation analysis. Then you can take that course and have discussions. And we have an online networking forum in this online.improvewithfit.com that lets us have open conversations like this with the thousands of people that are members of that community. Nice. So um, certainly visit us at our website, improvewithfit.com or, or go join for free at online.improvewithfit.com and, uh, and, and be a part of that community. Awesome. Thank you very much, mate. We'll put the links to that in the, uh, in the description as well. So people can uh, do that if they forget. Thank you very much for your time, Rob. And uh, we'll talk again next month. Sounds great. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that. It's courtly co-host, so there won't be any reflection episode. Um, so just go away and reflect yourself. Hopefully you're one of those weirdos that take notes after podcasts because those weirdos are the ones that actually learn from podcasts other than me that just walk and then forget it by the time I listen to something else. Don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance HSE subscription service on the website below or that you can contact them using the phone number and email address below. Um, also, don't forget to check out their webinar, the Learning Organization webinar. If you're a safety risk health professional or you're a professional that manages any one of those, you can check out Project Miletium, the mastermind community for you. Otherwise, thanks for watching. I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.